The scripture for this morning is found on page 1521 in the Pew Bibles if you'd like to follow along. Matthew 28:18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Greetings, greetings in Christ to you from the churches of the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, my name is David Lawrence, and living where we do, we have the joy of being able to call ourselves the Lawrences of Arabia. So I wanna give you a chance to see my, my family here. Uh, for those uh, who don't know me, I'm gonna take a little time to uh, explain who I am, where I come from, and why I'm here. Uh, it's, I think it's always important to know where your, your pastor is coming from in their spiritual life. So in, for me, I, in my high school days, uh, I was not living for Christ, uh, and it was three weeks before I went off to university that the gospel became very clear to me. And I knew in that moment of repentance that when I got up from that time in prayer, I would, my life would never be the same again. Little did I know where it would take me. But uh, I went to university, uh, and and there uh, actually pioneered a university campus ministry called InterVarsity. Anybody heard of that? Yeah, hey, yeah, uh, InterVarsity's home office is here in Madison, so um, praise God for, for InterVarsity. And that's where I met my wife, Chris. Uh, Chris, uh, and I went to, uh, sorry, we went to Kenya, uh, and that's where I really felt called to cross-cultural overseas ministry. Uh, shortly after uh, graduating, got a job with General Electric down in Fort Myers and was there uh, for four years. But having been involved in an inner city ministry there, uh, just really felt like I, I didn't have the time that I needed to really give what I felt needed to be given in that ministry. And so um, we left. Uh, we, we, we joined InterVarsity staff uh, in Kentucky, and uh, that's when I began uh, to lead students to Guatemala. For seven years, we did that every summer, going down to Guatemala, leading students on mission trips to, to, to Guatemala. And then uh, in 2001, an opportunity came up for our family and two other families uh, to pioneer university student ministry in a region of the world where it formerly did not exist at all. Now this was just around the time of 9-11. Of uh, as you remember, 2001 was, was a, a, a global changing year. Uh, just a note about that. Um, because we, we literally, I was, I was in the Middle East in August of that year and in October. Uh, very, very different uh, trips. 
It may be right and appropriate for government to respond to an advancing Islam uh, militarily, perhaps, politically, definitely, uh, but not the church. The church's response any time that there's been a persecution against it has, has never been or should not be appropriately militarily. It's missionary. That's the church's response. And so when, when 9-11 happened right smack in the middle of our two trips, it confirmed our call that we are on the right track. So we, we went there uh, to pioneer a, a, a group called uh, FOCUS, the Fellowship of Christian UAE Students. Uh, that ministry has grown now uh, to uh, reaching hundreds of students every year. We're on 20 different campuses across two countries in the Arabian Peninsula. And uh, praise God for those that are coming to faith uh, through that ministry. And here at High Point, uh, we've been ministry partners in the Middle East uh, for more than a decade. And so it all actually began through relationship with the Sherbecks. Uh, many of you know the Sherbecks. And uh, you know, they actually pioneered work there uh, that we stand on the shoulders of. Uh, amazing people, uh, the Sherbecks, and praise God for your work uh, in the Middle East and High Point Church, your continued involvement in the heart of the Muslim world through us. Relationship and ministry has been so important to us over the years, and, and that's why I mentioned greetings from the churches of the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, by God's grace, we've been a part of transforming the, the one church that was in existence there when we, when we moved to a, a gospel-centered uh, work, and about six and a half years ago, we pioneered a new church across town with them uh, called Redeemer Church. We are now uh, having about a thousand people show up every Friday. We worship on Friday. And uh, about 500 members. Together, the, those two churches three years ago planted three additional churches in our country. And this year, in the next eight months, we will plant three additional churches, two in our country and one in Lebanon. So praise God for the work that he's doing in the, the, the heart of the Middle East. The university work that we pioneered has also gone through a big transition this year, and uh, that's in that we're trans, we have transitioned just this January uh, the whole ministry to indigenous leadership. Nissen was the first student to come to Christ in the ministry of focus. I was responsible for training him as an intern in our organization, and then he became a colleague, and now Nissen is my boss. <laughs> Praise God for that to happen. Amen. I thank God that we've been able to see the things that we've been able to see in our lifetime. And I'm grateful for the support that you have been, High Point Church, in that endeavor. Crossing cultures is the sea in which I swim on a daily basis. It's not unusual for, for me to have over a dozen cross-cultural interactions in a single day. 
In fact, I have six nationalities living in my house. And uh, so we, we bring our interns in to live with us. And so I have a Pakistani, an Indian, and a Nigerian, as well as my wife's teaching partner, who's Filipina, and uh, an Angolan boy who we've kind of brought in as a foster kid into our house. Six nationalities in our house. Every day is a cross-cultural experience in my house. And praise God that all have come to understand this gospel of Christ uh, through their living in our home. I want to share with you the vision of FOCUS, uh, the student ministry that we started up, because it, it ties so well with our passage today. We are evangelists who do discipleship to reach the nations. That's our, that's our vision in our student ministry at Focus. And we believe that it is also the epitome of God's heart for his church as it's recorded in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew. Jesus calls those who believe in him to follow him. And Jesus crossed the greatest cross-cultural divide that ever existed between the divine and the human. The infinite one became finite. The holy one lived among sinners. Jesus left what was known, what was comfortable. He endured difference. He, he suffered and suffered loss, even to the point of death. And he rose from the grave by God's grace. And why? Why did he do this? He did it for the glory of God. And he did it because that's God's heart for the world. If you have been saved, he did this for you. This is that gift that we don't deserve. And it's a gift that, that when we give it away, it multiplies. It multiplies our brothers and sisters and it multiplies our joy as we give it away. Oh, may our hearts beat with the heart of Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate cross-cultural missionary and we wanna be like him. In fact, if he hadn't planned to reach the nations, and I would say that most of us in this room would not be here. In his letter, to get the, the idea of, of the gaining the mind of Christ, in his letter to the Philippians, Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As we trust Christ, as we follow him, then more and more our thoughts, our ways, our attitudes should become like his. Our hearts are to conform to the heart of God. Now, crossing cultures is not easy. Crossing into a Muslim's perspective is not easy. 
And especially when you bring the gospel, the offense of the gospel into that situation, so the question is, why would anyone do that? Why would anyone subject themselves to those kind of difficulties? Well, the reason we do that is for the same reason Jesus did it. It's for the glory of God that we do that. And because it's his heart. We're going to look at this passage that was just read for us uh, a little bit. Uh, we're going we're gonna to dig into the passage and and examine its application for us uh, broadly as well as more right here in Madison. Uh, but in doing so, let's, let's pray. Pray with me, if you will. Father God, we thank you for your word that it is right and true and that you are faithful in all that you do. I pray that you would help us to, to see this, this word, this message, and apply it to our lives, that we would gain your heart for the nations, and specifically, Lord, how that takes us to the Muslim communities that are right around us. Help us to do that, Lord, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, since the text has already been read, I won't read it again, but I'll have it there behind me, but I wanna highlight five things in this passage that have to do with missions. Missions, firstly, begins in the authority of Christ. The commission both begins and ends with Jesus as its subject. So the so missions is not the church's idea. It's actually Jesus's idea. This was Jesus' idea for his church. He is both the authority in which we go and he is actively in the going with us and so in that we can be confident. You ever feel nervous about talking to somebody about the gospel or, or you, you think, how could I ever speak with a Muslim? You have the authority of Christ behind you and with you, firstly. Secondly, because Jesus has all this authority, we are to disciple. Now, you might have thought I was going to say we are to go, but that's the, the actual imperative verb here is disciple. That one word in Greek translated make disciples is, I think, to, the, way, the reason they have two words there is to, to emphasize the active nature of this verb. But it's, uh, it's, it's really, it's Jesus that makes disciples, through us as we seek to disciple one another. I'm gonna illustrate that a little bit more later. So let me go on to some of the other things. The third thing here, the word is go, implying as you are going, disciple. Missions is about going. So firstly, it's, a, it's in the authority of Christ. Secondly, it is to disciple. Third, missions is about going. And in the going, we are to disciple people of all ethnicity. We go to people who are different from us. And the gospel of Jesus is able to break down every barrier that exists. Fourthly, missions is about evangelism. So the first part of discipling is to lead people to trust Christ for salvation. 
the first step in teaching all that Jesus commanded is to lead others to repent and believe. That's, that's the first step in discipling. We are to actively, verbally, and persuasively lead people to turn away from whatever they were trusting before to trusting Christ alone for salvation. Islam is a trust in one's own ability to make oneself right with God. I would, I would even go as far as to say that I believe Islam is the pinnacle, the epitome of man-centered attempt to make oneself right with God. Turn from whatever you're trusting in to trusting Christ alone for salvation. And fifthly, missions is about teaching. And what are we to teach? Well, if you look back at the New Testament, at the, uh, the letters of the apostles, they keep coming back to the same message over and over again that they're teaching, and it's that gospel message. We are to teach the gospel. This is what Tim Keller calls gospel-centeredness, and it is the way, the way, we are to disciple. So we must not teach morality apart from the gospel. We, we must not teach spiritual disciplines apart from the gospel. In fact, we, we must not teach any part of life it, from a Christian perspective if it is divorced from the gospel because in the gospel is the truth that every person needs. All of life finds its root in understanding that gospel message. So here is my def definition of mere discipleship. Oh, there's all the other stuff, sorry about that. Um, my definition of mere discipleship, to disciple is to lead another through imitation to increasingly apply the gospel in every area of life. So ultimately, God's heart is that we disciple the nations in the gospel. How do we, how do, we do that with Muslims? How do we do that with any non-believer? Well, we are to disciple in both the the, 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 we are to disciple both the gospel's saving power and the transforming power of the gospel, and we do that across all ethnicity. The gospel in its saving power is that message from God that leads to salvation, that reconciles a rebellious mankind to himself through the death and resurrection of Christ. In that saving power, Jesus pays our overwhelming debt of sin against him, the holy creator of the world. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what the Bible calls justification. It is that declaration that we are made right with God because of the work of Christ. And Paul pleads with the Corinthians, we implore you on behalf of Christ, 
Be reconciled to God. And that's what we're calling all people to, to be reconciled to God. That's what we're calling Muslims to do, is to be reconciled to God. And my conscience demands that, that I ask that question here of you. Are you reconciled to God? You can do this today, right now, where you sit. In a, in a, in a group this size, it, it is highly likely that some are here that have not made that step. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more, but, but you can do that even now. Turn from your own way to God's way to make you right with Him. Secondly, the transforming power of the gospel is that part of the gospel that's all too often overlooked, but it is so critical to the life of a believer. This is what the Bible calls sanctification. It's that daily growing in, the, in righteousness over the course of our lives. It's more and more that we become like Christ as we imitate Him and follow Him to disciple the transforming power of the gospel across culture is really hard. <laughs> we, it takes time, it takes patience, and most of all, it takes love. Do you love people? Do you love the Muslim? in the office? Do you, are, you, are you willing to love the, the, the Muslim that, that walks across campus or the people in the, the Muslim Student Association? It requires that we have God's heart for the nations to acquire that kind of love. When I asked my discipler and, and colleague, Max Stiles, what he thought discipleship is, this is what he said. He said, he said, in its purest form, to disciple is, a, a disciple is someone who has a relationship with their teacher. Discipling requires relationship. Are we willing to enter into relationships with people who are different from us? I want to give you an example of discipling in my friend and colleague, Shannel. Shannel came to a men's conference that Focus was having, and, and he came thinking that he was doing okay. He was a Christian. He was leader of the worship uh, group at his church, he, and, 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 and he, he had it all together. But inside Shannel's heart were lust and hatred. He hated his father and, and brother with a, almost a holy hatred. But Shannel... Uh, thinking to sound kind of spiritual, uh, it was talking with one of my colleagues uh, one evening, and he said, you know, I'm trying so hard to quit smoking, and I just, I'm just finding it so difficult. And my colleague, Brenton, said, Shannel, the reason you're having such a hard time quitting smoking is because you're not a Christian. Shannel was flabbergasted. How can you say such a thing? Well, it was the heart shock that Shannel needed to bring him to true faith. So a couple thoughts here. 
as, as I leave you with that right there. First, don't assume that just because someone comes to church or just because somebody says that they're a Christian or can even re- recount the creeds or, or, or whatever, that they have been born again. That is not what makes a Christian. Faith in the finished work of Christ and its application to their lives. That's what makes a Christian. And really, there's only two people who can know for certain whether a person is a Christian, that person and Jesus. Uh, it's, 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 It's impossible for us to know for certain. So we should have gospel conversations with the people around us. Tell me about your faith. Tell me about, tell me about why you call yourself a Christian. Um, it's a great way to have a conversation, and it's encouraging. If they are, then they'll repeat the gospel to you. If they're not, then you'll repeat the gospel to them and hopefully win your brother over. Secondly, don't be anxious about saying hard things to not yet believers. Eternity is worth it, and it's God's heart for that person. John Piper says, speak the truth in love. Truth is God's word. Love is God's people in action. Truth without love is harsh and does not lead to salvation. And love without truth is permissive and also does not lead to salvation. Both, he says, are necessary to lead a person to Christ. God's heart for the nations begins with evangelism, like that with Shannel, but the Great Commission's not complete when a person comes to faith. We are to teach them everything Christ commanded. So let me continue on with, with uh, Shanel. Shanel came to faith that October night, actually, put his trust in Christ, transformed him. In an instant, he was a new creation. But that transformation took a while to see, actually. It took a, uh, you know, months, years, to see some of those things that, that were, were issues in his life to come to fruition. I told you that he hated his father and brother I just had the joy of being at, at Shanel's wedding. His father and his brother were there. They're both believers now because of Shanel's witness. And to see their love for one another is, is undeniable now to see what God is doing there. Funny story. Shanel was uh, getting baptized after, after he had come to faith at our church. And as, in our church, uh, we give an opportunity for that person to share a little bit about their life and their testimony. And so he was saying about how, uh, you know, God had, had saved him. And then he, he says, and David taught me everything I needed to know about the gospel of doubt. I, I looked over, Max looking at me, he goes, what's the gospel of doubt? I was like, I have no idea what he's talking about. And uh, so I, I, I hurried over to Channel after, and I said, Channel, what's the gospel of doubt? He goes, huh? I said, you said the gospel of doubt. He said, no, I, I, said, I said that you taught me everything I needed to know about the gospel lived out. 
Ah, the gospel of doubt, the gospel lived out. Okay. (laughs) Oh, that was a scary one. Discipleship is that one-on-one, life-transforming relationship that's focused on the gospel. And doing that across ethnicity is when we gain God's heart for the gospel. After he graduated, Shannel joined our intern program with Focus and moved into my house. And there, in that time, is where discipleship took on its strongest form, life on life. That is strong. We talk about every area of life. We talk about sin. We talk about love. We talk about everything. We pray together nearly every morning. We encourage each other in gospel conformity. We discourage gospel dissonance. We, we meddle. We pry. We laugh. We cry. We settle differences. We love deeply. All this is what it means to disciple the transforming power of the gospel in someone's life. Now, we all have relationships, but not all relationships are discipling relationships. But they could be. They could be. Going back to that, this, the, the, the definition of discipling, uh, to disciple is to lead another through imitation to increasingly apply the gospel in every area of life. How would your relationships look differently if you saw yourself as one to be imitated? Paul says to the Corinthian church, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. So, what will the people around you say? Will they say at the end of your life, well, he was a good person? Or will they say, what a great savior that person had? I know it can be difficult to talk about Jesus sometimes, and, and, you know, the gospel can be offensive. You're talking about people's sin, and that can hurt sometimes. But friends, apart from Christ, nothing has purpose in our lives or our legacies that will last Don't we want our our kids, our grandkids, to, to remember us not only for setting them up for a good future, but also for teaching them to store up treasure in heaven? You know they will imitate us. Let's let's put the gospel at the center of our concern for them. Our children and grandchildren are our closest disciples. Well, let's make sure they know this because they will imitate us. One way to combat this tendency to to separate and, and miss the gospel with our families is to bring ministry and family together. I loved hearing that some, some families or some young people were going with other family members down to, to Dominican Republic. That's great. I think it should happen more often. This is one of the benefits for me 
of having all these guys live in my house. So the people that I'm discipling are actually discipling, those disciples are discipling my children as well. And, and what, a, what a wonderful thing. So what about then, how do, we, how do we then take this idea and move it across ethnicity? How do we disciple people from other ethnic backgrounds or, or Muslims? Think about Muslims. How do we, are we responsible for that? I would say yes. Absolutely. The ethnic aspect of the Great Commission was not just for the apostles. It was not just for, for pastors or, or, or missionary type people. Every believer in Christ is to called to proclaim him and to lead others through imitation to increasingly apply the gospel into their lives in every area of life and to do so cross-culturally. Until you put that into practice, you've not really understood in the, the deepest way God's heart for the nations. So, does your heart beat with God's heart for the nations? This is Christ's command to his followers. It means loving and reaching the nations with the gospel is actually not optional. The heart of God is to proclaim the gospel and disciple people from all nations. But our hearts are so far from this. We're so much more concerned about our own lives, making our vacation plans or, or seeing our investments grow. What makes us happy? You know, it, Entering into a, a, a conversation with a, a person who's, who's influenced by Islam is not as difficult as it, as it may seem. You, you, may, you may see that cover that a, a woman wears and think, oh, that means stay back. Well, for some men it means that, actually. But, uh, but it, 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 it doesn't have to mean stay away. It might actually, should actually mean to you an invitation especially you women. Uh, or if you see a man who's, who's counting his beads or, or, or spinning his, his, his prayer beads, that could be an invitation to you for a gospel conversation. This person that's in front of you is a God-fearer. Think about the New Testament in, in, in when Paul and, and the other apostles are going around preaching the gospel. Where did they go first? They went to the synagogues. They went to the God-fearers first. And if you think ministry to, to Muslims is difficult, try ministering in the synagogues in, in, in Paul's day. That's not easy. And yet that's where he went to bring the gospel message because people needed to know that there was a resurrected Savior. I was at the... Uh, the rental uh, counter, Hertz rental counter in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm, I'm there with this woman. She's ethnically different from me, and, and I said, I'm not gonna bring the gospel here. And she says, so what, what brings you to Louisville today? And I said, oh, here's an opportunity. I said, I'm actually gonna preach at a church down in Elizabethtown. Uh-huh, okay. 
I was like, oh, well, there goes that opportunity. <laughs> and, and so I, I keep thinking, and, and I said, you know, I love Louisville. I, and in fact, I, I'm here a couple times a year, and, and I'm going to be back in another two weeks. Maybe I'll see you. She says, oh, what brings you back then? And I said, well, I'm going to speak at a conference called the Cross and the Crescent. She said, huh, what does that mean? I said, well, it's basically like Christianity and Islam, and how do we, how do we interact with one another? How do we bring the gospel to bear to Muslims? She says, oh, my two boys have just converted to Islam. And what ensued was 20 minutes of conversation right there at the Hertz counter. Of course, I'm looking back to make sure, you know, I hope that she doesn't get any more customers. But, uh, but we had this long conversation about Islam and Christianity and about Christ. She was from Catholic background, and so I was also preaching to her, you know, it's not about our work that makes us right before a holy God. Oh, I don't know how to talk to my boys. Read the Bible with them. They're, they're actually instructed to read the Bible. Tell them that and say, here. I said, why don't you read the Bible first? <laughs> you know, take just the gospel. Read through the gospel and tell your boys to read it with you and let the word of God speak to them. Oh, guys, looking at America today, and, and the things that we see around us on the news, you have, an, you have two ways you can look at that. One is to go, oh, what kind of world are we coming into? The other is to say, what an opportunity we have before us to bring and display the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Racial violence, that is not God's heart. So how is anyone going to know any different? We have the opportunity to, to pray, to push, to engage, to have a relationship. What do we do about Muslim violence in America, around the world? We engage. We begin a relationship. We start a conversation. Being intentionally engaged cross-culturally in ministry is not as difficult as it needs to be. Look, Jesus crossed the greatest divide. He went to a cross to show love for the nations. And if we are to follow him, might we endure some suffering? Maybe. Should we be uncomfortable? Definitely. <laughs> he was. There are varieties that you, of ways that you can be part of discipling the nations. Some of you may be called to leave your homes, your families, and, and to go live across town or, or over the ocean. But you can actually go to the nations to put God's heart for the nations into effect right here in Madison. It means being intentional. It means having your eyes open. To seek to extend the love of Christ to the people right around you from other nations and ethnicities. It can be as easy as noticing somebody that helps you. Uh, perhaps it's your, your yard man. Uh, go out and take a glass of cold water to him and tell him how much uh, you appreciate him and that Jesus loves him. 
It could be the waitress that serves you at lunch. Not today, because you're gonna come to the luncheon. And saying, how can we pray for you before you pray for your meal? Take her concerns before the Lord. And then don't forget to leave a generous tip. You know Christians are some of the worst tippers in the planet, uh, so don't be one of those folks. Uh, tip them well. Last year, when my wife Chris uh, was visiting my daughter uh, in college, they were entering a restaurant and she noticed that the two men that came to the door to hold the door open for him were Arabs. Opportunity, she thought. As, she, as, they, as they walked through, she said, shukran, the Arabic word for thank you. <gasps> you know my language. Well, how do you know my language, they said. She said, well, we've been living in the Middle East for about a decade, and uh, are you students here at the university? Why, why yes, we're, we're in the English language program. There are hundreds of Saudis here. What ensued was a, a conversation, the exchange of phone numbers. At the very least, it was a positive interaction with Christian people in America. Chris's eyes were open. She took a risk to meet them on their level, or, or at least on a, a level that they would feel comfortable and would make them curious. It wasn't difficult, and it had the potential to change their world. Faith in Christ is a get-in-the-game proposition. There are no spectators when it comes to following Jesus. You're either being sent or sending others. And in and, and being sent, now, you, you got to understand, uh, the, just getting on a plane does not make one a missionary. This is called the 747 principle. Getting on a plane does not make you a missionary. If you're not being a missionary here, if you're not being engaged in missions here, just getting on a plane is not going to make that happen to you. Uh, but, but what can you do? One of the easiest ways that we can gain God's heart for the nations is to be hospitable. It's our call as Christians. Paul in Romans calls us to be hospitable. How much most, more so for the sojourner in our country? The world is literally at our doorstep. So how, what can you do about this right here in Madison? Well, you have a university here, probably several, uh, with thousands of international students right there. Maybe you could talk to the international department or talk to your university inter international staff worker and, and invite some internationals to your home once a month or once a week. Invite Muslims to your home. Ask about their religious background. Share your faith and have a well thought, short gospel presentation. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be canned, but just, just very natural. It's just something as easy as if you have in your head God, man, Christ response. That's the gospel. If you can just center your conversation around those things. Actually, the statistics of internationals living in, and studying in America that have zero engagement with 
with Christians is staggering. The Lausanne World Pulse reported a a year or so ago that according to the U.S. Department of State's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, the majority of international students, as much as 75%, never were invited into an American home. And more than 80% never entered an American church. With over 750,000 international students in that year, it's, it's, it's an unbelievable mission field just waiting to happen. Out of that number, 160,000 Saudis. That's just one country sending 160,000 students here. People, we got to engage them. It's hard to engage as as part of the minority there. But it can be really easy to engage as part of the majority here. So let me call you to, to bring Muslims to your home. Ask them about their faith. Share your faith. Let me encourage you students or parents of students to encourage your children to do an exchange abroad in the Muslim world. University students in our area who come on exchange who are Christian are virtually immune. It's, as, it's, as, it's even better than having a diplomatic passport. They are immune in preaching the gospel. I have more to share about that, but you have to come to lunch. Uh, Oh, guys, I can't can't tell you the, the, the amazing possibilities that are here for you to engage Muslims with the gospel. Lastly, lastly, I want to encourage you to get your family involved. Our families are our closest disciples. They learn the gospel through us, through imitation and proclamation in the home. We talk about it, we model it to them. And by God's grace in my home, all my kids, by His grace, have come to understand Christ as their Savior and Lord. And they are gained, they have gained a a God's heart for the nations in that. Just uh, my, my eldest daughter and her husband have joined a, a campus ministry staff and, and they're engaged with internationals. They led a team of university students to Japan last year. My second daughter is graduating in two weeks with her nursing degree and she can't wait to use that degree to send her down to Latin America. She wants to bring the gospel there. My third daughter is in Uganda right now visiting villages and proclaiming the gospel message in Uganda. Let me encourage you, don't underestimate your role in your kids' and grandkids' lives to pass on this gospel call and to understand God's heart for the nations. May your lives commend to them God's heart. The Great Commission, it's that final word from our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. And and paraphrasing, it's, it's as if he's saying, look, I am the king of the universe, so do this. Disciple across all ethnicities, 
And as you're going, evangelize and teach all that I commanded you. And I will be with you, so take courage. This is God's heart for the nations. Let us then seek through imitation to lead others to apply the gospel in every area of their life across ethnicities. Let's pray. Father, you are glorious above all things. Nothing compares to you. And you have graciously revealed yourself to us in the person of Jesus through his death and resurrection. You have purchased people for yourself. You covered our sin debt and you have made us right in the sight of God. By grace, you have also included us as ambassadors under your authority to preach this good news to all nations. Would you show us the opportunities that are around us to testify to this gospel? Would you show us how we can engage our, the Muslims that are around us or, or people of other ethnic backgrounds around us with this good news? Give us grace and boldness to speak the truth about your son in love. And Lord, would you give us the joy too of seeing the fruit of salvation as we call men and women to Christ. For it's in his name that we pray, amen.